name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. For the past couple of weeks, Jimmy thought it would be a good idea for us to take a few carols and to just talk through them and, and find out you know, who wrote them, why they wrote them, what do they mean. And so the, the first week he covered Joy to the World. And uh, Joy to the World is about the good news that Jesus has come. And last week, as we sing this morning, he covered Hark the Herald Ado Sing and what Jesus did by coming. Today we'll be talking about O Holy Night. And if you pull up your bulletin, you'll have it in your bulletin, the, the lyrics to O Holy Night. So uh, you can have that to reference as we go along. This is one of the most beloved songs that we sing during Christmas time, O Holy Night. And through the lyrics and the music, it inspires us to praise the Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus. And today we're going to look at where this beautiful carol came from and examine the truths from this carol as well. So let's dive right in. It all started in a little town south of France called, and I, I think I can say this is Hocamore. It's, uh, it's French, so it's a little weird. In 1880, uh, 1843, the church had just finished renovating their organ, and what a better way to celebrate renovating an organist by writing a song. And so they had a song started by um, a local poet and wine cellar, uh, plus... Uh, I can't remember, I can't remember the C. Uh, P-L-A-C-I-D. Uh, huh? Yeah, that's going to say, I was going to say Placide, but it sounded weird. Okay, Placide uh, Capot. Placide Capot. And forgive me on these pronunciations, I don't speak French, so I'll try my best. <clears throat> so, he wrote the words to the song. Now, Capot... He was an atheist, and I've actually been going back and forth with a friend of mine about if he was an atheist, if he was Catholic, or what he believed, and that type of thing. Some people believe that he actually grew up in a home where his family went to a Catholic church, but whatever, what I could find on him specifically, that he was an atheist. And it's really weird having a priest go to an atheist poet to write this song. <clears throat> but anyways, he still did. And uh, he was challenged to, to pin this carol. Um, and he probably didn't know it was going to be as popular as it has become. Um, Capot uh, was also, on top of being an atheist, he was an uh, abolitionist, um, which we'll talk about in just a few, uh, few moments. But it was actually John Sullivan Dwight who was the one who noted that he was an abolitionist. Because when he was translating the songs from French to English... Uh, he noticed it in this line. He says, He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those that iron had chained. So keep that in mind as, as we're going through this. But back to, to Cabot's timeline. <clears throat> Soon after he wrote the lyrics, Adolf Adam, so we got um, Cabot who wrote the lyrics, and then Adolf Adam, he was a French opera composer. He picked up the song and turned it into an opera song. But that wasn't until 1847. So a little over three years later, that song was finally written and premiered. I mean, think about the song. Three years, okay? We're waiting for the song to come out. It was sung by the opera singer Emily Loray. 
And so the song was quickly spread all throughout France, but with these mixed reviews about the theology and the abolitionist undertones in the third verse. The Catholic Church didn't much like the popularity of the song. And one of the reasons is because it not only was able to be sung at midnight masses, but as one journalist describes in 1864, it was also sung on streets, on social gatherings, and even in the bars that they sang this song. So although the French Catholic Church didn't approve of the song, its popularity just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. But in, in 1855, 12 years after the lyrics were written, and eight years after it was premiered in the opera, John Sullivan Dwight, a Unitarian minister, translated and rewrote the lyrics belonging to the beloved French, uh, beloved uh, English version of the song that we know today. And many would say that his version is a much better improvement, and trust me, I, I read the French transliteration, it just doesn't flow, it's not as good. So um, he actually gave us the words that we are going to sing a little bit later. And once he wrote them, that version quickly began spreading all across the United States and even into Canada. And I found this interesting. Actually, Ernest Gagnon, a Canadian folklorist and composer and organist, heard the song at a midnight mass, and from there he began to popularize the song in Canada. And now it was originally written for sopranos, and the melody line was eventually given to tenors and to baritones. But in Canada, it actually became a custom for congregations at the Midnight Mass to wait to see if the person singing was able to hit the high notes. I think that was the first American Idol in Canada. So um, now, this is, this is how the, the carol came to be. But I want us to look into um, just the words of the carols, not only just how it came to be. So one of the things that, as I was reading through the words of it itself, it gave me pause to learn that an atheist and a Unitarian were the ones that wrote and translated the words. Now, if, if you don't know what a Unitarian believed back then, one of the main views held by them was that they did not believe in the Trinity. And I was like, woo, you don't believe in the Trinity and you're writing a song? No, thank you. But actually, since that time, the Unitarian Church has also questioned things such as the miraculous signs, the virgin birth, the resurrection, and even propagating that you are not saved by believing in Jesus, but by your, you're saved by your own character and, and, and how you live your life. Um, but now that we have that info, now that we know that, what I want to do is break down these uh, these these script these verses and and talk about them because just because Dwight believed those things doesn't mean that what he wrote isn't true because it's based on scripture the song is based on scripture so we're going to look look at it we're going to dissect it look at it from a biblical point of view and as a church as our church we're going to look at this and see what the scripture has to say about the different verses of this beautiful carol so oh holy night let's go ahead and pull up the first verse i'm going to read this and i'll listen along oh holy night the stars are brightly shining it is the night of the dear savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. 
Isn't that beautiful? So the first lines of the song set up the scene for us. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dearest of his birth. And for, for us, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, we're here. We are, it's the night Jesus Christ is coming. It's setting up the scene for us for the rest of the song. Now, um, the rest of the song, I'm going to take, and, and we're going to just look at some of the reasons why we should worship Jesus. Reasons why we should worship Jesus that Dwight pulls into this carol. And there's some beautiful reasons. So um, if you have a pen and paper, go ahead and pull that out right now. We're going to start taking some notes. But we're going to talk about seven different reasons why we should worship Jesus. And they're quick. We're not going to spend all day here on these. But So number one, we should worship Jesus because he gave us worth. Because he gave us worth. First verse, uh, second, uh, third line. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So the Messiah was long awaited by the Jewish people, but in a different way than actually he came. They were looking for a conquering hero, but instead they received a small baby. But he didn't just come for the Jews. He actually came for the whole world, which lay in sin and error pining. Uh, and you probably don't use that word pining much in your vocabulary, but it actually means that they were languishing. The world was languishing in the error of sin. They were waiting in this error of sin that Adam and Eve had chosen. And it was waiting for the one promise at the very beginning that would crush the head of the serpent. And on this night, he came. He came into the world. And by this act of leaving behind his glory, Jesus was showing us that he valued us. Dwight goes on to write, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The long-awaited Messiah had finally come, proving that he truly valued us. Jesus could have remained with the Father and not come to save us, but that was not what he wanted. He decided from the very beginning that we were worth it. In Genesis uh, 3.15, he said, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The offspring had finally arrived to crush the head of the serpent because he wanted us for his own. So the first reason to worship Jesus is because he gave us worth by choosing us. By choosing us. The second reason, we should worship Jesus because he brought light to the darkness. We should worship Jesus because he brought light to the darkness. Dwight writes further in the second verse, A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So I was looking for verses specifically to this, and what I found, Isaiah 9, 1 through 3. I'm going to read that to you. But there will be no gloom for her, her who, had, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone 
light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. We worship Jesus because he brought light to the world for everyone. The Jews had a dim light through the law, but Jesus, he was the strongest light. He not only was a light to the Jews, he was a light to all who believed. He is the light of the world, the light of the whole world. The light signifies a beacon or direction that we should follow. And for everyone who didn't know about this God, know about this Messiah, Jesus was coming to give light to them, give light to all, and fulfill what Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to all nations. Jesus was coming for that. In the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You guys know that book? Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Great book. Yep. Um, the main characters are sailing on a ship, heading into a black fog. And once they got into the fog, they can't see anything around them. They want to go find this island. But as they're going, they hear a man cry out. And they take their lanterns, and they're looking around. And they're like, okay, hey, I see him. He's right there. So they pull him up on the ship. And they find out really quickly that they have made the wrong decision by going in to find this island in the middle of this black fog because the person they pull out says, flee from this place because this is where your nightmares come true. And at that moment, they realize they cannot live or be in a place where their actual nightmares become true in their life. And so they turn around and they start trying to get out of this fog and they're going and going and going and nothing's happening. They can't get their way out of this fog. And Lucy in the moment of desperation, says, Aslan, if you ever loved us at all, send us help now. Then suddenly, a beam of light came out of the darkness and lit up the entire ship. And from that light, an albatross actually flew past the ship and whispered to Lucy, Courage, dear heart. The captain ordered everyone to turn the ship and to follow the light, and in no time, they broke free from the darkness. And in the same way, that this light appeared to guide the characters in the story. Jesus is our beacon of hope in the darkness. He is the light of the whole world, leading us to salvation and a restored relationship with the Father. So recapping, the first reason to worship Jesus is because he has given us worth, and the second reason is because he brought light to the darkness. Third, We worship Jesus because he has allowed us to come to him by faith. We worship Jesus because he has allowed us to come to him by faith. Moving on uh, to to, uh, verse 2. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So Jesus has come into the world... And those who follow God by faith are actually seeking this Jesus. Because before he came, we had people coming to God through faith. And Jesus came into this world. And I think when he's talking about these people that are led by the light of faith serenely beaming, that are standing around his cradle, it's those who have faith in him already that have come. It could mean at that moment at the cradle, but it could also mean us. And the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're, we're just beaming with joy and love because of the light that is in us because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has changed our hearts. 
I was actually talking to someone about this recently. Have you ever had just one of those wonderful conversations with a, another believer? And, and you're just, you get to it and you're like, I just do not want to go home. I just want to stay here for another hour, two hours, three hours, and to continue talking with you. And what a friend of mine and I were just talking about with that is, I was telling him, I was like, what happens in those situations is we see Jesus in one another. We see the light that he's given us in one another. And in that moment, we, we see what we were made to be. We were see what Adam was supposed to be, what Jesus Christ came to be, the perfect human being. He is the one that allowed us to come to him by faith. He's the one who gave us hearts that glow. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would dare, uh, draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards us greatly because he has given us Jesus Christ. He has given us the ability to be a new human. He has given us the ability to have that in one another, to be blessed by one another in his word. He has given us and allowed us to come to him by faith. So, number one, he has given us worth. Two, he has brought light into the darkness. Three, he has allowed us to come to him by faith. And four, we should worship Jesus because he humbled himself. Dwight writes, The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger. The manger in a stable was not a proper bed for a king. But Jesus came in such a way that it was the only place for him to lay his head. Not only was he a king, but the king of every king that had ever been. And he was the strongest and mightiest, but he still came humbly as a baby. And since Jesus is the king of all kings, then we need to look at the way that we have been made to rule over this earth. If the king of kings comes to serve and save the lost, if the king of over all kings comes humbly as a baby, that should give us pause to think about how we rule. How do we rule over others? Do we rule like Jesus rules over us? Men, do our wives know us to be humble, not proud, full of kindness, not anger, ready to serve just as Jesus served? Women, do your children know you to be full of patience and words of encouragement? And children, do your parents and friends know you to be loving and caring toward them? I'm not saying this is something that you force yourself to do these things. But if you've given your life to Jesus, have faith in him, asked him to change you, these are areas that you can and will do your best to rule as he did in humility. Philippians 2, 5, 3, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. The king of all kings rules in that way. That should make us pause and think of how we rule. Number five, we should worship Jesus because he allowed us to be his friend. 
We should worship Jesus because he allowed us to be his friend. And I love this because I love having friends. I have a lot of friends. People tell me I have probably too many friends. And I keep on adding more and more and more friends. He, uh, Dwight wrote, In all our trials, born to be our friend. Born to be our friend. Jesus didn't come just to rule. He also allows us to be his friend. He said in John 15, uh, 14 through 15, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. In saying this, to be a friend means that we fellowship with a person and know what is going on in his or her life. To be a friend these days, it means mostly the, the same thing. A, a friend trusts you to share what is going on in their life. A friend will tell you how they're feeling, or they'll keep you up to date with what's going on in their lives. They'll involve you in their plans. Do you do, do, you do the same thing with the people around you? Are, the, are your family your friends? But the great thing about what Christ did is he showed us by making us his friends. By making us. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to bring us along. But he wanted us to be friends. He has given us the understanding of what God's plan is. He has told us. He says here that you're not servants because you know what the master is doing because I have told you. He has involved us in being a part of this plan. He doesn't look on us as servants, but as friends. A perfect friend who will never leave us and forsake us is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we can turn to no matter what. Because I know that we all have times in our lives where we feel like we don't have a friend. Even though we're in the family of God, sometimes we feel like all of our friends don't want to talk to us or don't like us in what way. But Jesus Christ, he has made us his friend, and he is always with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. So we worship him because he has allowed us to be his friend. Number six, we should worship Jesus because he taught us and showed us true love. We worship Jesus because he has taught us and showed us true love. Verse 3, it says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Jesus was more than just a wise teacher. He was God. And being God, he could truly love us. The one who created love could truly love us because he defines what love is. He is the one who can fully display it too. He even told us what love is in uh, John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. True love was taught to us by Jesus when he laid down his life, not only by becoming human, but also by giving up his life for us and trusting the Father to bring him back from the dead. He did what he defined true love to be, and in his death, Jesus brought peace between us and God for those who believe. Now, 
People might say that the gospel brings peace between everyone, but the gospel doesn't actually make peace between believers and non-believers. It makes peace between us and God and allows us to love like he loved us. We should worship Jesus because he taught us and showed us true love by giving up his life so that we could have eternal life and know the Father. And so the last reason why we should worship Jesus is we should worship Jesus because he made us sons and daughters of God. Chain shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Now, Dwight was an abolitionist, and he was probably thinking about this when he was writing it. But I think this goes deeper as followers of Jesus. When we have faith in Jesus, the chains of sin and shame are broken, and we are given the right to become children of God. When Jesus, when questioned about who his family was, he said that those who do the will of the Father are his brother and his mother. And this puts us on the same playing field in life. We are no better or, no, or worse than our brother. It is within the family of God that he desires us to see each other as equals, equally saved and forgiven, equally loved and cherished. It is because we are now God's sons and daughters that we should worship him. Even though Dwight not, might not have been thinking about that, that's what the Word of God sees us as, sons and daughters of God. So to recap the seven reasons, <clears throat> we should worship Jesus because he has given us worth, because he brought light to the darkness, because he has allowed us to come to him by faith, because he humbled himself, because he allowed us to be his friend, because he taught us and showed us true love, and he made us sons and daughters of God. Excuse me. <clears throat> okay. So, <clears throat> I said worship multiple times. Worship, 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 worship. What does worship actually mean? What does that, what does that word mean? <clears throat> um, worshiping God. How do we practically do that? How do we respond to to Jesus Christ. Now, further on down the song, we have these bottom portions as the three lines that Dwight gives us. So in the first verse, he says, fall on your knees, O hear the angels' voices. I think Dwight is saying that we should respond by bowing our knee. Bowing our knee. So the act of worship actually comes from the Greek word proskuneo, which means to bow your knee. Simple as that, to bow. But to bow in reverence, not just because someone's making you. It's something that we physically do, but it is also a humbling of ourselves. A humbling of ourselves in front of this baby. I mean, what a, what a crazy thing to do, that we should bow before the humblest of all people, a newborn baby. We should worship God by humbling ourselves before his son, letting go of our pride, trusting in the truth that Jesus brought to this world, and by faith, coming to Jesus for our salvation. Instead of living our lives for our own glory, making ourselves God, we humble ourselves, bow our knee in humility to Jesus. How are you bowing your knee before Jesus in humility every single day? 
How is your life a reflection of the humility of giving your life over to Jesus? We should respond by bowing our knee. Number two, we should respond by coming to Jesus. We should respond by coming to Jesus. In the second verse, it says, Behold your king before him lowly bend. Talking about bending again, but here we have our second response to the coming of Jesus. Dwight writes that we need to behold our king. And the only way that we can behold our king is if we come to him. We actually come to him. This is us leaving behind the things in our life that pull us away from the truth. Jesus humbled himself, and he came as a baby. The least we can do is humble ourselves and come to him. And come to him. And what are things in your life that pull you away from coming to Jesus? What are things in life that distract you, that have become Lord of your life? I can tell for myself um, things that come into my life. I let uh, TV, I let um, people's thoughts about me come into my life and pull me away from what Jesus thinks about me. I let, um, I let wanting to be by myself sometimes um, and get, get alone and rest or sleep or any of these types of things pull me away from actually being with the source of life, the source of strength, Jesus Christ. How do we check ourselves and, and come to Jesus instead of going to those things? Put those aside. Jesus desires us to come to him and find our source of life in him. So we should respond by coming to Jesus. And last, we should respond by proclaiming his power and his glory. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Dwight might have been thinking this was a singing out a song, or, uh, which I think is, is one response that we could sing out and proclaim his power and, and glory, but I think it's also that we do it one-to-one, that we do it to people by sharing the gospel, proclaiming the power and the glory through us sharing the gospel, making disciples. God has given us a mission, a mission to go and make disciples, and this includes telling the goodness of what he has done. This is our testimony of how God has given us true life through the Messiah, how he made us sons and daughters, how he saved us from death that comes from our sin. So I challenge you to worship God by telling others what he has done for you. It's not hard. Tell them other people of the goodness of God. Men, all day long, we can tell people of the goodness of what he has done to provide for us, to provide for our families. People that don't have Christ say, oh, I've worked hard. I've put this business together. I've made this money for my family. No, we can say Christ has done this for us. Christ has done more than just that. Christ has loved us. Christ has given us hope, eternal salvation. There's so many things, but we have to humble ourselves and proclaim his power and his glory. Don't be fearful. Don't be scared. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind to proclaim his power and glory. So let us respond today by bowing our knee in humility by coming to Jesus who can supply our needs and by proclaiming his power and glory.
Let's pray. Father, empower us. Empower us to respond to you, not only in singing, but living. Not just word or tongue, but in action and in truth. Help us to respond to the humbling of Jesus Christ coming as a baby, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us to respond to that and tell of your goodness, proclaim your goodness. Thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for living a perfect life and dying and, and Jesus for rising again by the power of the Spirit so that we have hope in the everlasting life that you gave to us by making us sons and daughters, by including us in that. Thank you so much. Give us your spirit to always be making disciples and sharing this good news of the holy night that you came and the eternal life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.